How's it flowing, y'all? Welcome back to the Opportunity on the Mic podcast, where we connect and amplify the voices in our communities who have taken the call to rise to the opportunity. I am your co-host, Kelvin Nunez, along with my co-host, director of the Opportunity Program here at Hamilton College, Aaron Ray. Aaron, how you do? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, man. Nice, nice. The, yeah. the Knicks have won nine in a row. Chill. Nine in a row. We Chill. just beat the Celtics twice in one week. Without Jalen Brunson. I got a face full of disgust. But the Knicks are doing good. The Knicks are doing good. The Knicks well, are doing not good. good. They're doing well. <laughs> Exceptional. Exceptional. Gotta give them well. respect. They're like Gotta top five teams respect. in the NBA right now. <laughs> for, for a lot of our incoming students, they haven't been alive for Knicks success. So this is a big season. Okay. The this Knicks is a are big up. season. The Knicks are up. This is not common. <laughs> but yeah, y'all, we have a fantastic episode for y'all today. Extremely, extremely excited um, to share with this with y'all. We have a super special guest. And, you know, okay, we know y'all see the name of the guest on the episode title. We know, but we wanted some suspense. Okay, we wanted to, we wanted to hype it up. But, you know, this episode, we have the great pleasure uh, to interview OP's own, the wonderful Phyllis Breland. Aaron, what was that conversation like? It was great. It was it was it was so great connecting with her. Like I, I've I've seen and talked to Phyllis many times uh, since being here at Hamilton. But you know, being in the Sadoff sunroom um, was such an, a relaxing environment. And it, it was, was really kind of cool to talk to her off the cuff, off the mic too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 but it was it was it was like she and herself was like a podcast. Like she's a walking history book, right? Exactly. I'm, she's, she's been a part of the Hamilton community for parts of six decades. Like that is significant. Um, and it was really great to hear Phyllis talk about her experience as a child um, in mm-hmm. Syracuse and, and the challenges she faced, but also the, the real joys that, that were a part of her youth and the impact that her grandmother and her mother had on her. Um, and, and, you know, Phyllis, as we all know, is, is a gifted human being, but she was a gifted child. She was, Absolutely. she was very smart. She was always advanced and there weren't always opportunities for her to harness that. Um, and so she, she talks about that. Um, she talks about how she came to Hamilton and what that was like, that and, was like right. and the impact that Christine Johnson, who ended up being a close mentor and friend to her had on her as a student. Um, it was interesting to hear about life for Phyllis on a campus that didn't have any other Phyllis Breelands. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that was, that was an interesting perspective. Um, and then just the importance of, of mentorship in her life and, and the importance of being a mentor to others. So it's, it's a really great interview and I'm really excited for everyone to hear it. There's just so much for y'all to get to so much that we did learn about Ms. Breeland as well. And uh, before that, you know, b- before we get to the meat and potatoes of the episode, you know what time it is. We need our inspirational quote. Aaron? Yes. So the inspirational quote today, <laughs> just got to give the listeners a little insight. Uh, Kelvin hit the wrong button originally. You won't hear it when he edits it out, but I just want to name it in the room. Uh, he hit the wrong button. That never happens. That never happens. <laughs> um, but our, our, our inspirational quote today is not really an inspirational quote. It is a meme. 
Okay, and it's from Destiny. I don't know who Destiny is, but she she posted this and became a meme. And the message is dedicated to first gen students. It says, "Your wealthy peers have been groomed their whole lives to get into these schools. Their parents have spent tens of thousands on their education, and you made it to the same place. Never doubt your place at your school. Don't y'all? We all deserve a what?" Got the right button that time, but yeah, we all deserve a round of applause. We people who have made the most of the opportunity. And what do we do when we get the opportunity, Aaron? We run with it. Run with it. Absolutely. So very great words from advice from our sage, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you to Destiny, who is at underscore Chismosa underscore if you want to find her on Twitter. Absolutely. And now with that quote to inspire us all to be our best and to remember where we came from, let's jump into our amazing interview with Ms. Breland. And today we welcome a wonderful and inspiring individual, former director of Hamilton College's Opportunity Program and recipient of the Arthur O. Eve Lifetime Achievement Award, Phyllis Breland. Ms. Breland, yeah. we just want to check in. How, how are you and what have you been up to? Well... I'm up to a lot of things, more so than I thought I would be or believed. You know, the whole idea of retiring was to take it easy, relax a little bit. But I've been doing consulting. I am writing a guidebook. I submitted my first draft. So now I'm working on it. I told my editor, please don't hurt my feelings because this is me on paper, right? So you get sensitive. So now I can understand why artists would be so sensitive about somebody criticizing or critiquing their work. I shouldn't say criticizing, but critiquing it. Um, and I'm on several boards. I volunteer. I'm doing too much. Mm. <laughs> That's what um, I'm doing right now. But I, and I'm also a trustee at a college, which um, is a great honor for me. But the thing that I like most about what I'm doing right now is control. I'm in control. Mm. Right. Nobody can walk in and take over my day. I like that. And if I don't feel like getting dressed until 12 o'clock, well, that's cool, as long as I don't have anywhere to go. And that's one wonderful thing about Zoom. You know, you can make it so they just see you from the bosom. Up. <laughs> right. So I will put on something there. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I got my little sockies on and everything else. Um, but I, I miss being out and about. So I'm still doing it. I am busy, a little bit busier than I care to be, but I have time for travel um, and traveling when I want so I can get deals. Oh, you know what's really cool? I'll be turning 65 this year, right? Seniors get a lot of perks. <laughs> Holy smoke. I'm busy. I'm involved. Um, but I do miss people tremendously. But I'm okay. I can't complain. That's what I'm doing. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. So we want to take it back. Okay. Take it back. Travel back in time. To the troglodytes. You know, uh, 50, 55 years ago or so um, to a time when you were a child and sort okay. of what what was your, your childhood like and, and what sort of opportunities did you have or did you not have? Well, I grew up poor in Syracuse, New York. Um. I remember vividly 
being on public assistance. Well, we didn't call it public assistance back then. We called it welfare. Right. And um, the food and the gold can and the government cheese. And when there was Christmas, my mom's boyfriend at that time went and got us a Christmas tree out of the trash. My mother was infamous for making miracles appear. And we would go to bed and there was nothing. And then we would wake up and there was this beautiful tree. And you go, oh, "Oh." so it taught you to believe in miracles and things of that nature. But um, I was a happy kid, right? I mean, I've seen some things in my lifetime. Riots, um, been a part of that. Protests, been a part of that. Uh, Curfews. All those kinds of things, you know, living with some roaches and rats. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, if we did. I remember as a kid, um, I went to Salvation Army Day Camp because that's what my folks uh, could afford. And my mother, who worked at the state fair cleaning bathrooms, and she would get tips, a dime or something. She would save all of that to help us afford certain things for us, for the kids, actually. And she had saved up her money, and she bought me a sugar mama. Now, for those of you who don't know, a sugar mama is a sugar daddy, but dipped in chocolate. So she put it in the drawer for me to take out on my trip. And when I got up to pack my lunch that morning going to the um, camp, the mouse had eaten half of my sugar mama. I was just floored. I was just so crushed. That that mouse did that. So I hate mice to this day. Mm. I hate them. I will hunt them down and kill them. But it taught me how resilient I was because my mom just refused to let anything stop the show. Right. Her one of her models was I'll take care of your needs. You take care of your wants. Mm. So that taught us, you know, you have to work. And from the time I was 12, I've had a job since I was 12. Mm. So I don't know what it is not to work. Mm. But um, I had great friends. That's when you could play out in the street till the um, street lights came on. That's when we played kickball in the street. The street wires were our badminton nets. My baby sister and I roller skated, but we only had one pair of skates between us. I can roller skate on one foot. I can't do it on two. Because (laughs) (laughs) my sister and I would hold on to each other. And skate around the rink. Wow. Wow. Um, together. I, you know what? That could be a great trick today. <laughs> but it was necessity yeah. back mm. then and wanted to enjoy things. So um, community centers and parks were a serious part of our growing up. Being close to your neighbors, the community raising the kids, that's how you had to do it because folks were working. Yeah. And, I mean, I was just as scared as my neighbor telling on me as I was. <sighs> kind of little. Mm-hmm. As I was from my mother getting mm-hmm. on me. You know, I um, remember my cousin and I used to take turns stealing penny candy from the corner store. And uh, I got caught one day. And I ran out of the store right into the arms of my uncle. And he made me stand there while he called my mother. You know what a phone booth is? Mm-hmm. I don't see them. Uh, so he called my mother and, that, and made me stand there in the phone booth. And then I had to walk home and face my mom. And when I got into the house, 
uh, she was sitting at the table and she made me stand there in the spot and she wouldn't look at me. And that was one of the most painful memories I had, just the fact that my mom wouldn't look at me. Mm. But that was also the day she stopped spanking me and started talking to me. And when I did things when I was older, I would long for those days when she would just whoop my ass. <laughs> Instead of breaking my heart right. mm-hmm. with those talking to. Right. But I had a good life. Um, and people saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I was a smart kid. I loved to learn. I was intrigued by things. Uh, and I was put into this special program for smart kids. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. called 210 and later you leap, but it was for 210 of the school district's smartest kids. So they took us out of regular school and put us in these, this cohort and we went to school together. So in the third and fourth grade, I'm speaking French, I'm doing trig. Wow. Um, the whole idea was to how much can these kids absorb? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot. But what I learned later on in life, and, and I went into that program all the way through junior high school, right into um, starting high school, was that if you don't nurture that kind of learning, if you don't have anything to do with it, or if, if it can't be projected uh, forward, it, it's just as dangerous as it is helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm doing all of these things so that um, when I got in high school, I had enough credits to graduate. But nobody was talking to me about my dreams and my ideas or Mm -hmm. what I wanted to be. Um, Certainly aspirations. Mm -hmm. Um, So that left a big gap. So at, you know, 15 years old, I'm a credit approver for Sears. I, you know, my mother said, you know, you can. 15, you can't come. You, no, no, no. You're going to stay in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, and do what? Because there wasn't anything for me to do. I had taken everything. I'm a straight A kid. Mm-hmm. But ironically, do you know through all that time, I never took the um, SATs? Really? Yeah. I didn't take the SAT till I got up here to Kirkland College. Hmm. Part of the admission. I, I didn't, I never had and nobody, I didn't know a d- thing about them. Excuse me, I better stop. <laughs> Doggone thing. <laughs> so so you didn't take the SAT until you physically came to Kirkland College? Exactly. That was part of like the admissions criteria? Exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then what was, yeah, what was your reaction to like coming here and then you're like, I got to take another thing or what is well, this? Well, no, no, because I had been out in the world supporting myself, mm-hmm. living. So, okay, this is something I got to do. All right, well, I'll do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I took them and got a pretty decent score. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that, you know, I never even, but, but it just drove home the fact that those scores do not determine or truly reflect what a person is capable of right? and, exactly. and what they can do or where they might go or what they can be. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, a very interesting journey, mm-hmm. a very interesting journey. And I loved it. You know, can you tell I like being the center of a team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think from, from the journey, uh, what's kind of interesting to think about is what motivated us along that journey, right? When we were, yeah. when we were younger and when we were going through it and when, you know, 
the mice were attacking us for no reason, yeah. eating our eating our candy. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what do you think motivated you to work so hard then? And then thinking about it also now, how do you think that motivation has changed to now? I have to place my mom and figures like my mom in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother uh, was very strict with my mom. And my mother was an only child and the first grandchild. So the way that she was raised gave her a focus on how she was going to raise her children. So my mom had some rules and they were, I'm never going to spank my kids without them knowing why. Mm-hmm. Hence the talking to, which was brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, but making them a part of things, listening to what we had to say. And my mom was very clear. I'm your mother, not your friend. So I always saw those divisions, those directions very, very clearly. Right? So that's the way I lived. Those were things that I simply understood that I had to do. You know, like I'll take you an example, like burning your bra and women's rights. I didn't have no rights. I had a job I had to go to and take care of business. And it was simply that if it's something that I wanted, I had to figure out a way to get it a legal way. Cause my right. mother, you know, she didn't play. We didn't tell No, my mother could give you that look from across the room that would make you quake in your boots. You, Freeze. Were dead. <laughs> you just stop, you know, or it'd get in your head um, in doing things. I wonder what my mother would say. I wonder what she would think. And so that was always the guiding force between those two, my mother and my grandmother. Um, and any senior, and then my mentor coming here. Um, it was not, oh, uh, what do you think about doing this? It was do this, do that. Do. And then later on, you could add um, your opinion, mm-hmm. right? Um, and l- this whole thing about grown folks talking. Now, the way it was, was you could sit in the room while the grown folks were talking, but you better not open your mouth mm-hmm. because that's grown folks' conversation. And if you did open your mouth, oh, watch out. The sky would open up and everything would just fall on you. Um, But respect, Mm -hmm. respect. And those are things that I carried with me. Hence, um, that's why I have people call me Miss Braylon. And it's because it had everything to do with defining where I came from and where I was intent on going. And I didn't want the students to be confused about me trying to be their friend because I wasn't there to be their friend. I was there to help them, to teach them, to show them what I would learn and to give them all the support they needed. And so in order to do that, because I had to say some tough things sometimes, Mm -hmm. I couldn't be their friend. But I told them, here's the deal, you know, and I'm close still with a lot of them. They call me, I said, you know what, when you turn 35, you can call me Phyllis. Thirty-five. When, when you hit that threshold, yeah. you're good. You pass. But my thirty-five-year-olds so. <laughs> still don't call me Phyllis. Like, oh, oh, I don't think I can say that. Yeah, they're not Phyllis. used to it. <laughs> used to. But it's yeah. okay. It's mm-hmm. okay. I trade that out for mommy. Oh, cool. I, I love that. Yeah, right, and then uh, going to kind of what? How do you think that motivation changed from like seeing like your your mother and, and your grandmother, right? And then how do you think that's kind of changed to now? Where you've kind of gotten to that, not that you kind of, you've gotten to that point, right, of respect. And you've gotten to that point where you enter a room, right, and everyone, everyone knows you, everyone respects you. So where is that motivation? Where, is that, where does that come from now? Well, if, 
you know, being in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was such a sensitive person. I cried all the time. I still cry every day. You know, those puppy dog commercials really get me, <laughs> you know. Um, but I can be watching something and the emotion. I'm so tied into it that it brings up tears and and um, so caring. And I recognize how sensitive I was. But when I was younger, people would mistake that for weakness. Mm-hmm. And I pause there because I've taken that word weak out of my vocabulary because I am not weak. Mm-hmm. And anybody that can feel something, they are so blessed because so many people don't mm-hmm. and try not to feel. And I embrace it and found out that it was my strength. And so that motivates me. If you can move me and if I can feel and we can relate, there's a place for me in your life. There's a place for you in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's what's, you know, People don't realize when you do stuff like this, and particularly my journey, it's a two-way street. It's just as important to me to get something from you or my students as it is to give it. So it is a matter of exchange. That's what defines me. Mm -hmm. So when I walk into a room, I have to believe that I own it. Because I am the only one, the only one. My value starts with me. I have to present my value. And if I don't show you that I'm here, how are you going to know? So that's always been my premise of approaching something. Mm-hmm. Hey, y'all, I'm here, and this is what I bring. Right, right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you live that way, then you get blessed that way. And I, I used to teach young people how to walk into a room. If you come in all slouchy and you know, dragging and slow, you know, doesn't say good things about you. But if you make definite steps and put your feet firmly on the ground, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm going to look at you. What do you have to Who's say? Who's that? Okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So little things like that, which turned out to be a huge thing. Exactly. And then I think that kind of, those small things of how you walk into a room also can just translate to how you carry that energy in every other Everything little thing you, you do. do right? And then for you, Ms. Breeland, like kind of what I'm understanding is that, like, yes, you, you, like this connection with people, but when it becomes genuine, when it's real love there, that's when it, you build those strong bonds. And that's when you, not only you get rewarded, but the student gets rewarded through the conversations you have through being able to, to, to form those relationships that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in life, in my life, I've had a lot of hurt, mm-hmm. um, a lot of pain. I mean, you can hurt my feelings and not know it. Um, but I'm the one who has to make a decision and a choice whether or not I'm going to show that to you. But something that I don't do is I'm very careful in particular about words because words can be so harmful right. and they're so yeah. strong. So, say, for instance, I don't say I love you if I don't mean it. You know how people throw that around casually? Oh, I don't love, oh, I love you. Come here, I just love you. Well, Phyllis is not going to say that mm-hmm. unless Phyllis feels it. And I make, and, and people who know me know that. I, I don't give up compliments willy-nilly. And I make a promise. I promise folks that I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to help you with. 
what right do I have to ask you to stand in the middle of the sea if I'm not going to stand out there with you? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the way I live. And there is genuine love there. And I love to give hugs. I like to, you know, make sure that people. She gives great hugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need Feel one. I'm going to need board. one. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give appreciate you one. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So Phyllis, tell us, tell us about your experience in the program as a student. Right. When you started, it was you were at Kirkland College. But right. during your time, it's my understanding Hamilton transitioned. Right. What was that like? You know, um, the student of color population when I came up here was 0.2%. So there were about 12 of us. Wow. And every person knew everybody else. Um, and ironically enough, at that point, there was a lot less infighting because you had to rely on each other. Right, right. Right. Um, but there was an awful lot of convincing that had to be done for people up here that admissions criteria wasn't somehow compromised or um, we weren't targeted because we're going to blend in the mix. So there's always been that um, educational component where you had to stand on your square and defend yourself and who you were, that you had earned every right to be here, um, that you had done just as much hard work. Um, the first time that I was called, and people say the N-word, I say nigger. The first time I was called nigger was up here on this campus. Yeah. Eye-opening for me. And this is somebody who didn't know me and called me that with such hostility. And the hostility as if they did know me. Um, I had to deal with professors who gave me grades not based on my work, because I was this little smart kid that I would check my work and compare my work with my fellow students. Mm -hmm. And we're um, uh, submitting the same thing. They would get a B plus, you know, A minus, and I was always get a C, a C with no comment. So I had to deal with a lot of things like that. Um, Ideally, even love and, and, and emotional relationships where there was this white dude. I really liked that dude. And we used to spend a lot of time together visiting. But when parents day came, he didn't introduce me to his parents. I couldn't find him. It, you know, the reality of things like that, that there were people in the world who still didn't like you just because of the color on your skin. Mm-hmm. The things that I was learning that had nothing to do with who I was and where I came from, all but excluding me. Now, I don't want you to think that it was totally a bad experience because it was not. I learned an immense amount of work and I, well, knowledge, and gave names to the skills that I could do. You know, I was great at philosophy because I like to argue. <laughs> Um, and it intrigued me. I'm not sure I understand. Siri. Who are you? <laughs> Is that Siri. my phone talking? It wasn't me. Uh, not me. We'll just, we'll make sure to edit that part. Lies. S- yeah. Siri, Siri, her philosophy. You are not a guest. <laughs> Siri, you are philosophy. not a guest on our show, Siri. Shut up, girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... I saw a way that I could step in, be myself. Mm -hmm. I had the supports of my mentor and those faculty who knew what I was about. Mm -hmm. I was a theater major. 
And so the entire time that I was here, except for my senior year, I did not, and with intent, did not participate in any stage production. I was too good to be a maid. If I couldn't be Cleopatra, I wasn't doing it. I have been in theater most of my life. So to tell me that I wasn't good or that I wouldn't have that role or you would let me audition for it and then I wouldn't be in the show, oh, forget it. Wasn't doing it. Mm -hmm. But I had this professor, um, Carol Bellini Sharp, who is now deceased, but she recognized that. And my senior year, you have to do a main stage performance. And she um, picked a play that would meet all the criteria, including mine. So that was Moliere. And yes, I played the maid, Doreen, but I was the only character on stage the entire time. Now, I worked it, (laughs) you know. Um, But those are the concessions we make. So I, I learned. Um, how to balance my needs out with where I was. I learned so much here. I learned that I do have a voice. I learned that there was a way to have my voice heard. And if I was strong enough to open my mouth and let my voice be heard, then the supports were there to carry it through. So not only did my experience here hurt me, but it brought out the best in me. And so coming back and working, I see all the possibilities. You really can do anything that you want to do, but first you got to learn. Mm -hmm. You have to learn what's there. And when I was a a student, one of my first jobs was working in a mail center. And everybody thought, ew, what a terrible job, just sorting mail. Well, you know what? I read those addresses on that mail, and when I delivered it, I would ask people about their job, who they were. So I made myself known. That's a small little thing. But for lack of a better thing, you got to learn how to infiltrate. Yeah, make make the most of what you got. That's right. Exactly. And no lesson is lost. Um, it's, It's like when I hear, you know, some younger people say that they don't want to flip burgers at McDonald's. I'm like, listen, if you go flip them burgers and learn how they manage that place, you too can be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. You know, you have franchises. It's about changing your perspective. Changing your perspective. Don't be That's it, in them. a nutshell. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it, in a nutshell. Um, and I'm open to that. I'm, I'm open to the possibilities of what if. Always, always, always. Mm-hmm. What if we do it like this? Right. And then I think that kind of leads into our next question about perspective and and opportunity. Right. Uh, Our next question is, what was it like uh, taking over the leadership of the program from the great Christine Johnson? Oh, (laughs) 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 there were challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, I had everybody around me saying, oh, you got some mighty big shoes to fill. Oh, man, I've heard that before. (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you, this is the comeback line. Tell them I brought my own shoes. I I say I wear size 15 so I can fill the shoes myself. And that's what I did. But working with her, they did something different. They they didn't afford us. She worked with me my first year so Mm -hmm. she could mentor. But I didn't find out later that she did that without pay. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. She did it without pay. 
and she stopped taking pay to help students. So she was coming out of her pocket wow. um, to support students. And I did a lot of that too. Somebody needed something. I just took them to the store. I bought them. You know what? Sometimes you're just in the moment and, mm-hmm. and you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about answering that need. But um, she was very, very firm mm-hmm. and strong. She was a retired Air Force major, so she didn't take any BS from mm-hmm. anybody. I remember she admitted somebody to the college and, and said to uh, her boss, what you going to do, fire me? They're like, no. <laughs> 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 so that kind of thing. And she gave me um, courage and hard lessons. And oh, she would yeah. do things for me. I don't want to say to me, but she would do things for me, like, I'd be in my office doing work and whatnot, and she'd come in and say, come on, let's go. And it was up to me to figure out what to do with the work that I had to do. But she was teaching me time management. She was teaching me priorities. She was teaching me the flow of how the job went. Um, I can recall vividly um, that she called me in her office one day to give me my review. And on the review, it said that she, wa- she didn't know if I was ready or if I could take it over. And I said, do you think I'm scared of you? She looked at me. I said, well, I'm not scared of you. I have my own opinions, my own ideas. But as long as you carry the title of director, I will not disrespect you. I will not um, go against you in public. I will not counter what you say. I will work with you. She put in her notice next day. And I said, well, hell, if that. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to do. Right, that was it. God, you could have told me that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but um, I so appreciate her tutelage. Mm-hmm. And she set a level. She set a level. She set some priorities. She showed me all the ins and outs of the institution. She helped me learn. Um, she showed me how to look at things mm-hmm. and to be quiet. So I developed this um, saying that I would say to my students, listen with your eyes. You have to just sometimes shut up. Stop being so focused on what you want to say and listen with your whole self about what people are saying to you. Because if you can learn to do that, you learn to recognize what a person says via their mouth and then what their body says Mm. to you. Mm -hmm. So listen with your eyes. Take it all together and don't be so quick to answer. And if you're thinking about what you're about to say to what I'm saying, then you know what? Shame on you because you haven't heard me at all. Mm -hmm. It's kind of equating to taking notes in the classroom. If we have a 50-minute class and you walk away with five pages of notes, what have you learned? Yeah, like what has sunk in? Right. right? Yeah. What have you listened to? So it's that same thing um, with doing the work and doing her job. And to this day, when she opens her mouth, I listen. Mm -hmm. And she's, she will forever teach me, forever. You know, I was the only student that she allowed to call her Chris. Wow. And that was because that's how she introduced herself to me. And she didn't correct me that first time. And I think she was struck 
by my guess boldness. We had that kind of tie and a connection, which has lasted all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, and have somebody in your life like that is invaluable. Somebody who accepted you purely and without condition or unconditionally for who you are. So, Phyllis, my, my next question is, um, what is your fondest memory of your time as director of Opportunity Program? Oh. This is going to sound so selfish. My birthday celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> All the love on the birthday. I mean, That's funny. That, I, yeah. Because... They would never know how they touched my heart and what that meant to me. Um, And it just like that hole in my heart where they were held just got bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper. And to just give me that little wish Mm -hmm. that everything. And I say that because there were so many good things. I love the accomplishments of my students. Yes. I loved it when people got what they wanted, when families got connected. That was the payoff for all that I was doing to see people realize their dream. That was the payoff. But for me, personally, the birthday. And I have to thank Ms. Davis for that because... She was always back there stirring the pot. Well, you know, now, now I know why the office is so big on birthdays because I, I, like, I don't make a big to do on my birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Betty and, and and Brenda are really like pushing me to go out to lunch for my birthday yeah, this yeah. year. But last year, no one knew it was my birthday until the day was half over. See? Which is the way I, I kind of never do that. Because I mean, I I'm, I'm at a point where like, yeah, I'm, you know, each year is not a, a joy to get oh, older. But it, but it is. Oh, but it's Jay, not Aaron, to me. Your not perspective, your is. perspective, open oh it up. My God. But do you realize the wealth you have? <laughs> yes, I yes, know. I and know. you make another day. You lived another year. I know. I Holy know. Celebrate it with us, Aaron. I yes. Know. Um, I mean, there's kind of a game going on right now because students don't actually know what day my birthday is. Oh. So, but, but some of them are, are motivated to figure it out. Well, well I'm going to tell you who was like that, too. Chris Johnson was see, like that. See? So we alternate. So the director after me. Yeah, well, but you know what we do? I found out it was in the month of June. Okay. So we would just celebrate all June. <laughs> So you couldn't escape. That's good to know. I have the blueprint now. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Ms. Brinkley. If you can get the You know what to do. (laughs) Just do it every day. But, um, you know, it is about that personal recognition. Um, When you do work of service and giving to others, it's very hard. It's not so easy to feel valued. Mm -hmm. Um, Because more often than not, no matter what the truth is, you feel... uh, overused, overworked, Mm -hmm. it's mentally taxing, it's Mm -hmm. emotionally taxing. Mm -hmm. So something as simple as recognition. And you know they can't pay you what you're worth. You know that's that's real. Right? That's real. So you take your glory where you can get it. And that's where my happiest and I kept every single card I still given to me for twenty years. I do that. I do that. When when students or or people write me thank you notes. Yep. 
They go in a jar on my desk. Whenever yep. I'm having a tough day, I just I pull, them out. pull one out, read it, and I'm like, oh, this yep. is why. This is yep. why you do it. That is. Yep. Um, in your eyes, Phyllis, <laughs> what makes the Opportunity Program so special? It's in that word. Opportunity. Opportunity. That You know what? Listen. When I, as far as I know, we are the true, we're truly Hamilton's one-stop shopping. Yeah, I'd agree with that. There is not anything that we won't do. There is not any situation that we will run from. And we don't leave our kids floundering. And even if somebody doesn't want your help, you're still there. You know, um, and people can say, no, it will never stop me from turning my back. I, I mean, that's what family is. That's what caring about me is to show me not only in word, in deed, but indeed that there's nothing I can do that's going to make you stop caring about me. And that is what opportunity, and, and to know that what you're doing will serve a lifetime and that what I give to these students, they're going to give to their kids and then their kids will give it to their, it lives forever. Yeah. Every, everywhere. Like yep. what you said just, just resonated with me so much because what I've learned is I have a, I have four sisters mm. and, and my two younger sisters I like to think of them as my babies, even though yeah. they're only, I'm only one, like one year and two years older than them. Yeah. But everything that I've been learning at Hamilton and through the OP program has, I've been feeding it back to them. Yes. Everything. Like you give it back. Writing help, advice, mm-hmm. all of it. So mm-hmm. like, I hear you when the family, it just, it, it goes through everything. Right. It, it fills up not just the students' lives, but also their lives on, on campus, their lives right. off campus. And it just, it makes you just want to keep being better. You, you know, I mean, when I come back on this campus, it was hard when I first retired because I, I wanted to do everything I possibly could to respect Aaron and what was happening and the changes. That, so you can't step up into the office and go, hey, y'all, I'm here. <laughs> right. You know, that, that's not I've fair. tried, though. I've tried to get her. <laughs> no, that's not right. You know, mm-hmm. that's not how succession works. Mm. And so um, when I come up here and people see me oh my you know yeah it just yeah. feels so good but i gotta quickly go because i don't want to get my head too big because then i can't get into heaven it won't fit into the curly gates yeah you just gave me like the image of someone's head just not fitting through the gate that's right because it's not about me. It can't right, be totally right, about right. me. Your head right? can't be too, can't too be blown too up. Big. Your heart, mm-hmm. your heart, maybe, right? My heart, that's a whole different thing, but not yep, my head. Yep, yep. Not my head. <laughs> um, and then I think uh, going from there, from the students uh, based, right? Uh, I think these kind of go hand in hand together, okay. but it's just more for like, not even just OP students, but any student listening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like to be committed to success? And... Additionally, when you dare to make a difference, what do those two things look like together? When you're committed to success and you dare to make a difference? It looks like hurt. Mm. Uh, It's like growing pain. You know, it is a growing pain. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and to be committed to success means you're going to have to understand that you're not going to get everything that you want and that there is promise in your failures. There are ideas in your failures. You're going to fall on your back so you can see how the hell to get up, mm -hmm. and nothing is over until you say it's over. And if you ask yourself, is there something else that I could have done, and you can come up with something, then you're not done yet. That's the dedication to success. Mm -hmm. And our resources are endless. It's like. Um, loss. You know, I, I, none of my parents are alive. My, my mother, my father, um, my stepfather, my sister, you know, there, I've had a lot of loss in my life. Mm. And I had this perspective on that. When I look at what held their bodies, what held their spirit, they're not there. They're in me. So as long as I live, they live. Mm -hmm. So that's a responsibility, a responsibility I have in maintaining all that has made me who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's learning how to take my pain, my own pain, mm -hmm. and make it work for me. Doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean that um, you can got to be smiling all the time. Sometimes I have effed up days, and I wake up that way. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I accept that I'm effed up today, and I keep it moving. So you surround yourself by people who can support that. You know, when sometimes when I would come into work. And I had a bad morning because let's face it now, who you are, you don't leave at home or in your room just because you've changed locations. You feel bad, you might take those bad feelings with you. So by surrounding yourself, I would come in in the morning and I say, so listen, today's going to be a tough day for me. Protect me, please. Mm -hmm. And you go, hey, then I can go into the other room with a little bit of calmness, um, feeling a little bit better and be okay. But never, ever ignore what you're feeling or what you're doing and you don't suppress it, but you learn to utilize it because it is part of everything that makes you great. And every person that takes up a space is great. Mm -hmm. Don't never, don't ever, not don't never, you know, I know how to speak. I'm a Hamilton. <laughs> don't ever let anybody take you off of your square mm -hmm. ever. Under any circumstances, even if it means to just be quiet and hold. Mm -hmm. You want to respond and not react. If somebody's pushing, you know, if I'm about to lose my temper, I tell people, you're pushing me and I'm losing my temper. So I'm going to walk away. And then that's what I do. Or I can't talk to you about that right now. Let me calm down and I'll get back to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what you were saying about like, like kind of listening with your eyes yeah. and then just knowing, like going back on the experiences yeah. you had before, knowing what's best for you right. and what's not best for and you. And what's not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And where you can have impact, not only for other people, but for yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's 
kind of the difference, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about like when you dare to make a difference, right. it can also just mean making a positive difference on someone else or not making a okay. negative difference. Exactly. Reeling yourself back in. Exactly. Right. I had someone um, say to me, um, well, what Phyllis means is, and I said, hmm, you know, I think I covered that pretty well. I said what I meant. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you, though. <laughs> Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank but you. But don't need. <laughs> I said what I meant. Right. Or trying to make what you say more palatable to, to those that you're with. Wait a minute. Sometimes we need to get slapped in the face with a little reality. Right? So we can hear it. Or one of the things is so hard for people to do is they know. Right. Right. I mean, it was hard for me. Sometimes mm-hmm. it still is, depending on who it is. But I've been practicing for about 50 years to say no. Mm-hmm. And when you say no, and I didn't learn this till I was in my 50s, when you say no, and nothing else has to follow. <laughs> True. Because True. Right? people will go, no, because yeah. you just say no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Phyllis, we have time for two more questions. Okay. And I, I won't talk so much because you're not. <laughs> no, this is, I mean, I, to our listeners, I'm sure they've been sort of in a, uh, I don't even know the right kind of state. Like, it's been really interesting. Like, you're. you're send your donations. Send your donations. <laughs> to OP. <laughs> um, all right. So, so the first question is a, is a deep question. The second question okay. is a fun question. All right. All right. What is the best first impression someone ever made on you? Oh, I was a little girl. And my grandmother, um, she was very orderly, very organized. She told me to go into her bedroom and look and open the drawer, open the middle drawer and the Chester drawer. Look in that drawer to the right top of the drawer and bring her that piece of paper. I followed her direction. I was blown away that it was right there where she said it would be if I just followed the directions. That shaped my life. I still can find things in the dark. I like order. I like order of thought. I like order of clothes. I like my sneakers to match my socks. I like order of business. I like respecting the order. I like knowing where I'm going. I don't like being lost. Mm-hmm. I don't, oh, God, I freaks out my, my sister as we travel <laughs> together. She's like, we're be all right. And I'm like, where are we going? <laughs> but that so impressed me. And I don't think my grandmother, I mean, it blew me away that by following direction, if I just listened and I could find it. And I was a kid and that shaped me forever. God, what a difference it makes if you would just follow direction. Oh, God. Yeah, that students follow directions and read your emails. <laughs> yes. Read your email. <laughs> read them. But you know what? You can color outside the line, lines every now and then, mm. right? If you see the advantage. Like my grandmother thought she had Betty Crocker beat. 
you know, like the cake already came yeah. pre. Yeah. My grandmother would always add one more egg. It needs one more egg. So she put the egg in it and, you know, the cake batter, she would unbalance it. Yeah. So <laughs> that when she made the cake, it would hold up nice. But when you took a bite of it, it just fall apart. It oh. just, right. Um, but you could never, ever stop her from putting that egg in there. Sometimes life calls for an extra egg. Not today because of inflation. <laughs> eggs right. are ridiculous in price you right can't. now. I've given but, up eggs. So. Yeah. But. And then our, our last question. Yeah. This is a fun question. What is your go-to song to sing at karaoke night? Ain't no stopping us now. We're on the move. <laughs> okay. Moving. Ain't no stopping us now. We got the groove. No stopping. No stopping. No stopping. No stopping. <laughs> Dang. That's my theme song during COVID. Yeah. I'm like, you ain't going to stop us. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to push through. Yep. We should. I've been. I've been telling Aaron we should have an OP karaoke night. Oh yeah. OP. I, Aaron knows what song I would sing. Uh, 2010 classic Justin Bieber baby. But <laughs> what is yeah, that? No. It's, oh. it's it's just something that I grew up on. I'll send that one to you. Send that yeah. to me. Too. Send that one to it, you. It, it's well. very. It's a very interesting song. So you know, many layers to it. You know what? I could use some instruction on. I don't What's know up? any of the. Um, young rappers and nah, artists you know, of today. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know them. You don't know the difference between Dub Baby and Lil Baby? No. Is, is it babies? There's another baby too. I, I think, think Dub Baby's from North Carolina and Lil Baby's from Chicago. I don't know. I, Lil Baby not what? from Chicago. Oh, I listen. Okay. I need a rapper called Big Baby. Big Baby. Well, we could do that. <laughs> the Big Baby's rap. <laughs> Come down to the place where I show my face. Oh, no, but yeah. She got bars. <laughs> OP karaoke night would be a great place for Miss Brela to come learn. <laughs> Do a little the, thing. Yeah, and then for all of us to have some fun together. We, you know what? Long before this rap came, we used to have the last poets and all this mm-hmm. yeah. kind of stuff. And, and so when I tell my kids when they were coming up in their music, I say, you don't understand that there's nothing new. It, it, you know, it all goes around. It keeps coming back. That's for sure. I know. I keep hearing songs now where I like it's got a beat from a song I grew up on. Exactly. I'm ready to jam, and then it's like Lil Uzi Vert or something. I'm like, right, what did right, you do to right. my song? <laughs> Why'd y'all mess up something so good? What's a little Uzi Vert? That's yeah, another rapper. Another rapper from Philly, actually. Oh, you from oh, Philly? Yeah. You from Philly? Oh. Well, right. you know what? They're yeah, from Philly. We need to have a lesson. Y'all can introduce me. <laughs> Today, because the other thing is, I can't, um, I can't always decipher it. You know, I can't always understand what they're saying. Like, yeah, the, I mean, like the present day rappers, yeah, it's not too much. That's why I like yeah, technology because yeah. I can just keep listening to the music. That and I grew then, up on. and then, t- yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I love I, my music. I don't yeah. do the radio because I, 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 I stick with music. what I stick with what I know. Yeah. Um, so Phyllis, thank yeah. you so much for thank for joining you. us. This was an absolute trip. Like it was, this was fun. <laughs> Um, we all learned very something. Inspiring it was me. very oh, inspiring. Um, we'll probably have to have you back next year. You know what? I thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you give me value. And for that, um, I am eternally grateful. Yeah. Right? 
Keep on doing it, y'all. I have one final request. We always have an outro to the episode. I'd I'd like you to record it. So it's in big, bold letters. Okay, here we go. And that's our opportunity on the mic for today. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and hit us with that five-star rating. You know what to do. Don't make me tell you again. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.